This is The Roadshow, and I'm your host, David Warren. On today's program, we're in for a treat. Joining us is one cool guy. His name is David Thomas, and he is the Director of Family Counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville. David joins us from his office, also known as the Little Yellow House. Welcome to the program, David. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, you bet. And I was not kidding when I say you work in a little yellow house. Tell us about it. I do. We do the counseling work a little different in that we very intentionally chose to be in a house, not an office building, because we serve just the pediatric population. So if anyone listening has ever taken a child you love to counseling, you know that it can be a somewhat overwhelming experience, I think, for kids on the front side. So we try to do as much as we can to make it feel as comfortable and safe as possible. That's why we wanted to be in a house rather than an office. And the six most sought-after therapists in our practice are our therapy dogs. We're all aware as humans that we fall in line in the pecking order behind them, and we're 100% okay with that. But it's one more decision why we chose to do the work in the way we do, because we want to create as safe an experience for kids as possible. So I've been with this amazing practice, working with this incredible team for 25 years now, and incredibly grateful for the privilege I've had to sit with thousands of kids and families at this point in my work. You are known as an LMSW. What is that? Yes. Really just letters. I've laughed when I mentioned the therapy dogs um, over the years that my therapy dog actually has more letters behind his name <laughs> than I do. And so it's a very humbling experience to own a dog who's more credentialed than you are. But my undergrad degree was in psychology. I have uh, a minor in child development and then I have a master's in clinical social work. So the combination of those degrees has helped me understand kids and adolescents and families in ways that hopefully have made me useful and helpful to them along the journey. And although you and I, I think I do too, sound very young, we've been at this a while. Tell us how long you've been helping kids, especially boys. Yeah, I have been at Daystar. I actually started as I was completing grad school. So I walked out of grad school into this practice and have not left since because it's an amazing place to work. And and I work with an incredible team. I believe strongly in the wisdom of surrounding yourself with folks who outpace you, and I 100% do. And I think makes me better as a clinician and a, a caregiver that I'm consistently surrounded by just a bunch of all-stars who are as gifted in terms of caring for kids and families as any folks I know across the globe. So just so thankful I've been there for 25 years now. 25 years so this really is a ministry. This is not just a career for you. That is 100% correct. Okay, so now here's the big reveal. The name of your new book that you wrote all by yourself, because you co-authored eight books in the past, but you have released companion books that you wrote yourself. And I got to tell you, I cherry pick my guests because we have different hosts who do this program. I'm the program director, so I would, I guess, be the main host, David. And when I saw the title of your new book, I said, that one is mine. That is so going to resonate with our listeners. Folks, the name of the book is Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. And I got to say, David, that any female with whom I have pre-shared this topic 
has told me, oh, you've got to tell me when that airs, because women are very interested in being around emotionally strong men and raising emotionally strong boys. Would you not agree? I would 100% agree. And my great hope is that you know the investment that I think we could make in boys on the front side of development really could create great men in this world, different from some of what the current stats would say are true about men. And I am a firm believer in that classic Frederick Douglass quote that says, you know, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And and I think that really is a foundational belief for me and why I wanted to write this book. Well, I need to tell you that I am not a father, but what appealed to me about this book to tackle it as a subject that would be new for me, again, not being a father, and we're talking about raising emotionally strong boys. I know a lot of emotionally weak men who started out as emotionally weak boys, and that's where you step in, and that's where this book and the new workbook come in. And let's start off our conversation by you telling a story that I've heard you tell more than once, and it so resonated with me, and it's about the two boys at their grandpa's funeral. Mm, I'd love to. Years ago, I attended a funeral for a man in the hometown where I grew up who was a great man, a great father, an amazing grandfather, a highly successful businessman. And I remember being at his service and hearing these things spoken about his life. And at the close of the service, as they were about to bring the casket out to head toward the burial, um, his family was gathered around and two of his grandchildren were boys. One was six, one was 14 at the time. And as they were about to leave, the little six-year-old boy just started sobbing. In fact, put his hands over the casket and just was crying and saying, I miss you. I miss you so much. And the 14-year-old grandson who was standing beside him had his arms folded and his lip was quivering. It was obvious that he was doing everything in his power not to cry, not mm-hmm. to show any emotion. And as we were leaving the service, different folks who know I work with boys said to me, you know, I imagine you feel worried about that little six-year-old boy, don't you? And I remember saying, oh, I don't feel worried about him at all. I feel more worried about that 14-year-old boy who's working so hard not to try to feel anything. Mm-hmm. And I went in further to even say about the six-year-old boy, like he's reminding every one of us of what healthy grief looks like. Like he's acknowledging the fact that this man had a great impact on his life. And he's saying aloud, I'm going to miss you. And he's showing evidence of what he's feeling on the inside, on the outside. And as I got closer to greeting the family soon after that, I overheard so many people saying to the 14-year-old boy, you know, you're being so strong for your family. And I remember just, it broke my heart to hear that one because I hated anyone strapping that 14-year-old boy with the responsibility of do more of what you're doing, try not to feel anything. And that's what emotional strength looks like. Well, it's because and I remember walking straight to that little six-year-old boy and saying, thank you. Thank you for reminding every one of us today about what it's like to miss someone that we love. Thank you for reminding me. That was so strong. So I wanted to call out the strength of his showing emotion where so many people were simply validating that poor young man who was working so hard not to try to feel any emotion. And I think when I think back on that experience, I think 
about the countless fathers I've sat with. This happened a couple of weeks ago. I sat with a dad who said to me, David, I grew up being told consistently, don't feel and don't ask for help. Mm-hmm. And that's what I saw with every adult man around me. That's what was modeled. That's what was confirmed. That's what was celebrated when I didn't do it. He said, I went on to play professional sports, and I remember them even training us on the field to show no emotion, the sense of you're not impacting me in any way. And he said, where that may have served me well at times vocationally, it has made my marriage and my parenting incredibly difficult. And I think that dad is speaking a truth that I've heard countless fathers say over the years. And and right back to where we started, that's why I think men lead some of the scariest statistics out there. Infidelity, internet pornography, substance abuse, suicide, the common denominator in all those being that men are working so hard to try to numb out or shut down whatever they feel. Rather than developing emotional strength, which is really just the ability to name and navigate the emotions. So thank you for letting me talk about that. Clearly, you can tell I feel so passionate about it. Well, you were concerned about the older boy with his arms crossed trying not to cry because you, with all your training as a counselor with boys, you really feel badly about what kind of man he's going to become. Absolutely. I know where that road leads. I know well. In fact, I mentioned infidelity and addiction. In 25 years of doing this work, I have worked with more families than I could ever count who are navigating separation and divorce. And I can't tell you how often I come together with families in that moment where infidelity or addiction is a chapter within their story. That's not every family, but a high percentage of the time, it's one of those two. Something took place a majority of the time in a man's life that brought this family into my office that is at this really painful intersection of a marriage dissolving and figuring out what in the world it looks like to care for children in the midst of that disillusion. And so I can't tell you what it's like to sit in that long enough and want to do everything in my power, everything on my watch to try to get in front of that. Because to your great question, I do know I have a great sense of where that leads. Like that little 14 year old boy keeps getting validated in that space and working as hard as he can work not to feel. It's never surprising to me when men end up in the throes of addiction of some kind because they're working so hard to try to avoid what we know is a normal human experience. You know, we're made as image bearers. We're made as feeling creatures. We're full of emotion. Jesus in his humanity, there's so much evidence throughout Scripture where he felt different things that we're going to feel. And again, it's just our job to name and navigate that. But as simple as that sounds, there are so many males in this world, from young boys all the way to adult men, who have not developed those skills. And that's why I wanted to make it as user-friendly as possible. Like, I think it's important that we have this conversation, but more important than that, I want parents to walk away from this book feeling like, okay, I know what it looks like to build these emotional muscles. Like, I have a great sense of tonight at dinner, something that I could be doing to help strengthen these emotional muscles on behalf of the boys I love. So every chapter in the book ends with five intentional practices where parents can take the content teachers, coaches, youth pastors, anyone who cares about boys could take that content and put feet to it in what I hope is a really easy, useful way. Well, I want to touch on one thing before we take our first break, and I want to loop back to this 
fact that we, David, you and I are contemporaries. I'm in my 50s. I think you are too. I am. Because we both love 80s music, so that tracks. Um, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So we have been conditioned our whole lives that being stoic or not showing emotion is manly. We've all heard the term man up, which basically means don't feel, as you said, don't ask for help. But what happens is, is when we bottle that in, it comes out as what's called a secondary emotion, which is anger. Now, that's the one we're allowed to show, anger. But you know, because this is what you do, that many times it's not anger. That's just how it is being expressed if something else is going on. Address that, and then we'll take a break. Talk about that. You know, somewhere around 9 to 10, a boy's brain begins to channel all primary emotions, fear, sadness, disappointment, confusion, into anger. It's just this instinctive biological process that happens. And then think on how that becomes more permanent, because as you just said, culturally, we support that. We say it's okay to be angry and you're fully masculine, but it's not okay to be afraid. It's not okay to be sad. And so... I think what is instinctive becomes that much more familiar because it starts with this biological process and it moves toward this cultural confirmation. And unless we are trading out those messages like man up for something more healthy, more Mm -hmm. constructive, I think boys will just go farther and farther down that road. And I talk in the book about, you know, suppression is maladaptive, like pushing it down, trying not to feel expression is healthy and constructive. And, you know, it's interesting to me, even the statistics around men's health, you know, uh, when I was doing the research for the book, I found that this is not a surprise, I think, to anyone, fewer men every year go for their well visit with their doctor versus women who do. We just don't care for our physical health, our emotional health, our spiritual health in the same ways. We don't reach out for help in the same ways. And it's, again, why it explains, I think, so many of the scary stats, not just about men emotionally, but also about men physically, that we're Mm -hmm. just not attending to our health in ways. And we know that we've got strong research around the fact that if I carry high levels of stress, my body is just flooded with the cortisol at all times. Like It's going to wreak havoc on my system eventually. I'm going to develop digestive issues. I may develop migraine headaches. I may develop any number of ways that my body will show evidence. I think about the great book, The Body Keeps the Score. You know, there is just evidence. We have hard science around that confirmation that it's going to show up. It's going to show up physically. It's going to show up emotionally. It's certainly going to show up relationally. And that's why I'm so grateful you give me a chance to talk about this. You bet. Well, this is the new book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, by today's guest, David Thomas. It is available wherever books are sold. We've got so much great information coming up on the program today. When we come back, David is going to tell us what to do when the boys and even the men in our lives have meltdowns, blow-ups, and give those one-word answers. Back after this. I'm David Warren, here with some exciting news for Oasis listeners. We have a new mobile device app. It's free, easy to download, and lets you enjoy our refreshing music and talk everywhere you go. If you have an Android cell phone, go to the Google Play Store. And if you have an iPhone or iPad, visit the Apple Store and search for Oasis Radio Network. 
be an Oasis ambassador and share this news with family and friends around the world. There's food for the hungry, joy for the sad. I found an Oasis of love. Oasis On today's program, David Thomas is with us, and we're talking about his new book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, and the subtitle is Tools Your Son Can Build On for Life. David, let's talk about what to do when the boys and even the men in our lives have meltdowns, blow-ups, and give those one-word answers, and probably the most famous one is fine. Fine, fine. Fine is actually an acronym. What does fine stand for, David? Fine is an acronym for feelings in need of expression. And I would say that's a great starting point right there. Feelings that need expressed. And, you know, I would want to say to any adult listening, you know, if you are hearing this conversation and thinking, okay, I don't have those skills in place. I didn't grow up in a home where I was validated for expressing my experience, articulating my experience. I didn't have parents who use an emotional vocabulary. I want to say to that person listening, I think that's true for a majority of adults in this world. Mm -hmm. And it is never too late. It's never too late to develop these skills. The second thing I would say is I think these are learned skills. No different than we have to teach kids to ride a bike. We have to teach kids to swim in the deep end of a pool. We have to teach kids to tie their shoes to shoot hoops, and we know that every one of those skills requires practice. These skills are no different. They're learned skills. We don't just wake up one day with them, and we have to practice them consistently if these emotional muscles are going to get more developed. So I really do want to anchor folks to those messages, like it's never too late, and these are learned skills. And I would lastly just say to that, think on even the example I gave a moment ago of riding a bike. You know, when we teach kids to ride a bike, Every parent knows that there are some kids who just, it's like they were made for it. They just get on a bike, they fall off a handful of times, they dust themselves off, they get back on, they're just determined to develop the skills. Other kids throw the bike down in a ditch, fall apart, say, I'm never going to get on that thing again, you can't make me, this is horrible, and everything in between. And wherever the kids are, wherever you are in that process, from throwing the bike in the ditch to dusting yourself off and getting back on, it's going to be harder for some people, easier for others. But it is, in my opinion, some of the most important work we can do. These are some of the most vital skills. In fact, I hope there comes a day where we prioritize teaching, you know, what we call SEL skills, social emotional learning skills in schools in the same way we prioritize teaching math and science and reading. Like, I think they're every bit as foundational. In fact, I might argue a little more foundational because, as you and I were discussing, we're in our 50s now, and I can go several days without using any of the math skills I spent decades mastering Yes. or break out my calculator when I need it. But I use my emotional skills, my relational skills, on a daily, sometimes hourly basis in all the relationships I'm in. So... I just want to challenge anyone listening, you know, let's just prioritize these because these are what I call human skills, life skills kids are going to need all throughout their growth and development. We talked on the first segment, David, about anger is something we often see in boys and men, and 
many times it is actually the secondary emotion, meaning it's masking what feeling is really going on inside that boy or inside that man. So when you can identify something, like going to the doctor, if he or she, the doctor, can identify the problem, you can work on resolving the problem. And that's the same thing with identifying emotions and getting to the root source. And so when you're dealing with small boys in your office, you have something, and you could buy it on Amazon, parents, grandparents, uh, teachers. It's called a feelings chart. Tell us how you help boys determine what's going on inside. Yeah. The thinking behind the feelings chart is really no different than the reason all across the globe we have the letters of the alphabet hanging up in elementary classrooms. Like, we know as we're teaching kids letters that form words and words form sentences, these basic foundational building blocks of reading, that when kids can see the letters, it strengthens the connection. It's the exact same concept. If kids have a feelings chart as a point of reference, if we have those hanging on a refrigerator out on the table when we're sharing a meal together and we can point to those, it accomplishes the exact same thing. I would argue also, I think, the benefit of having it on the ready is that it also reminds us as adults to be folding in more emotional vocabulary in our day-to-day reporting. So to our laughing on the front side about fine, I think a lot of adults in this world will say, you know, when asked at the dinner table, how was your day? It was fine. Mm -hmm. Rather than looking at that chart and being reminded I'm modeling something important on behalf of the kids around me to say, you know what? I felt embarrassed today. I had to give a presentation to the board of directors, and I didn't feel as prepared as I wanted to. I felt sad today. I think I said something that hurt a friend's feelings, and I didn't mean to, and I need to circle back to them. Knowing that those declarations are landing on the kids we love. In fact, research tells us time and time again that kids learn more from observation than information. They learn way more from watching us than hearing from us. So those teaching opportunities are foundational to kids developing these emotional muscles. So tell me if I'm on track here. It would be better for a parent to reveal what is going on in himself or herself than to try to shelter the son or daughter from the fact that mom or dad is having a hard day, which is attached to a certain emotion. Yes, a hundred percent. In fact, I'm going to even go a step further, and I may surprise some folks listening, but you know, in our practice regularly, we will tell parents, if you are in counseling yourself or if you're in marital counseling together, I want you to tell your kids that because I think the assumption sometimes for us as adults is that actually might make them feel concerned when in reality it makes them feel better. I can't tell you how often over the 25 years I've been doing this work, I've had kids who knew their parents for marital counseling who will observe some things in their parents, maybe a season where they're absorbing a lot of their parents' stress or some back and forth between them, who will say to me, will you tell my mom and dad to go back and meet with their person? Will Hmm. you tell my parents to go to counseling? And it offers this reassurance. In addition to, it offers this great modeling, like this is a good and healthy thing to do. Every one of us can get stuck individually, merely, And it is great to ask for help. It's great to pull a third party in. It's great to put another set of eyes on. It's great to get input. And that's not just true of counseling. I want to challenge parents to, you know, I just walked on Monday of this week with my pastor, who's a great friend, and I'm having a conversation with one of my kids about it. Like, hey, I walked with Carter on Monday. Can I tell you something he challenged me around? You know, knowing that 
in that, I hope I'm modeling for my kids, this is what it looks like to be in relationships that create opportunity for growth. When I talked on the front side about my colleagues who outpace me, I challenge parents to do that. Like, talk about what you're learning from the people around you. Talk about where you're growing. Talk about where you were challenged. Talk about where you changed your opinion on something because you were in conversation with someone, a trusted voice who helped you grow and stretch in some ways intellectually, emotionally, spiritually that you've not done before. I just think that is so valuable. I will also comment, lastly, that I commonly in my office over the years have asked boys to tell me, hey, who are your three, two or three of your mom's closest friends? And without hesitation, almost all boys I meet with can name at least two to three of their mom's close friends. Mm -hmm. If I flip the question and say, tell me who are two or three of your dad's closest friends, I can't tell you how often boys pause or stumble or can't get to two. And that's concerning to me that fits within that don't feel, don't ask for help, that I don't think boys get the opportunity to see as much of here's what adult male friendship looks like. Here's what it looks like when adult men are in counseling. Here's what it looks like when adult men are in close relationship with their pastors, in relationships that allow them to grow and learn and stretch. Otherwise, when we don't communicate that, when we don't model that, we're feeding that sense of self-sufficiency, that messaging that comes at boys like, it is your job, not just not to feel, but not to ask for help. You can do everything on your own. You are supposed to be competent and self-sufficient in all moments. And I just think, what an unhealthy thing. And and how opposite of the way Jesus lived as a man. Hmm. You know, all throughout Scripture, we saw evidence of Jesus walking in intimate relationship with these 12 men. They were in constant community together. He was saying, stay awake with me. I feel afraid. He was weeping in the company of the loss of a friend, Lazarus, with his dear friend, Mary. You know, all this evidence of where he was walking in intimate relationships, being honest in his experience. So I just really do want to challenge man. I think man up is only the starting point of where we really dissect what we're communicating and what we're modeling for boys in ways that I just don't think is, A, the way of Christ, and B, a healthy way to live. Well, amen from David Warren here. David Thomas is with us today. Um, I mentioned about the feelings chart, and you said have one of those available if you're an educator, if you're a parent. Um, But what about like a 15-year-old young man, or I guess we could still say boy, you're not going to pull out a feelings chart with a 15-year-old. How do you crack the code in getting older boys to verbally express what's going on inside? You know, I would say two things to that. One, I would say adolescent boys are primarily experiential learners. So they're going to make their best connections by going through the motions. So I think a lot of that good modeling, I would even add to that role play. Like, I had a a conversation, a great conversation with a parent about a 15-year-old boy lately, or not long ago. The mom said she drove her son, he has his permit, not licensed, over to a girl's house so that he could knock on the front door and ask her to a a school dance. And he was, as any 15-year-old boy would be, you know, just swimming in a lot of worry about how that exchange was going to go. And then right as they pulled in the driveway, you know, it kind of hit him like, her dad is probably going to answer the door. I'm going to have to have a whole conversation with him and why I'm here before I even encounter this girl. And he looked at his mom and he said, Mom, I can't do it. I can't go. I need you to turn around and go home. I think I'm having a panic attack. Oh, and no. she looked at her son and said, you know, buddy, 
I don't want to dismiss what you're feeling, but I don't think you're having a panic attack because we're still talking. You're still breathing, but your heart rate has increased. She was doing all this great helping him make connections. You're feeling nervous. You're feeling worried, and you should. Any 15-year-old boy would in this moment. And she's like, hey, let's practice. I'm going to be the dad. You be you. Knock on the door. Let's get that conversation practiced. And then she practiced being the girl. He was going to ask the dance. And I love that she turned role play into this opportunity for him to name and navigate his experience so that by the time he got to actually knocking on the door, he was still feeling worried, but he also felt equipped. So that would be one thing I would say. You know, secondly, lastly, I would say, I do think actually it could be helpful to have the feelings chart out even with adolescents. And I would maybe introduce that in this way. I would say, hey, put it on you, not on them. Hey, you know what? I didn't grow up in a house where we talked about feelings. This is not familiar language for me. So this chart's actually out there for me as much as it's out there for you. And it's a reminder to me. The other thing I would say is that I think when we ask adolescent boys how they felt about experiences, you know, to just come up with a feeling can feel a little bit like fill in the blank. Whereas if I have a chart out, it turns it into multiple choice, which most adolescents would say is an easier way to take a test. So I think it can be useful and let's really put it on us as the reason we're using it as a reference point and a reminder. And I would just lastly say in, in response to that, that I want to challenge any adult listening that one of the things I talk about in the book is how I think we have over time gendered emotions. And in my experience, and there's some research to support this, more oftentimes with girls, we will ask them how they feel about things and we will ask boys what they think. And I really want to challenge anyone listening. Let's flip the equation and do both. Let's ask girls more what they think in addition to what they feel And for sure, let's ask boys how they feel in addition to what do you think. Otherwise, I think it is that thing of you should always be thinking but not feeling. I was listening to your podcast this morning. By the way, it is a great podcast, folks. Jot this down. Raising Boys and Girls with David Thomas and his co-host, Sissy Goff. Again, that's Raising Boys and Girls, available on all the podcast platforms. But you were talking with your guest about screen time and how to limit it with your kids so they engage more with life and in life. But um, as a counselor, you've been at this so long, how does inordinate amounts of screen time affect a child? This would be boys or girls. How does the screen time affect emotional growth in kids? It greatly impacts them socially and emotionally. And there have been countless studies. One that was done out of UCLA where they took a group of fifth grade students and kind of split them into two groups, gave them a short quiz. It was basically the feelings chart you and I are talking around, but it was actual faces. They had to identify what's that person feeling. And then they said to one half of the group, okay, For the next five days, keep using screens the same amount you always have. To the other group, they said, go without for just five days, just five days, brought all the kids back together, gave them the exact same quiz again. And the group who'd not had access to screens for just five days, it's a really short period of time, didn't just score higher, scored significantly higher. And I love sharing that study because... I think it's deeply encouraging to any of us, any parent listening who feels overwhelmed, like I've let my kids be on screens way too much, that in something as short as five days, we can create this great reset that allows kids opportunities. When we take a 
you know, technology Sabbath break on a Saturday or a weekend that gives kids the opportunities to just read what research would say 70 to 80% of all communication is nonverbal. And when kids are looking at a screen, they're not having the opportunity to read all that important nonverbal, which is a huge part of communication. They're not looking at faces. They're not having those practice opportunities we talked about a little bit earlier. So I could honestly talk all day about how screens stand in the way. And I want to be very clear in saying I'm not recommending throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but I'm a huge advocate of healthy screen limits. And it was incredibly kind of you to mention that podcast episode. I loved that episode with the team at Bark Technology. And and we've done several around uh, screens and their impact. And I just would encourage parents to access that content because I don't think we can think enough about setting healthy limits so that our kids can, again, develop in all these important threads of their development emotionally, socially, spiritually. The name of David Thomas's uh, podcast, once again, is Raising Boys and Girls, and his co-host is also a counselor there at Daystar in Nashville. Her name is Sissy Goff, and she is one fine lady. You two make a great co-host team on the podcast. And I want to mention before we take this break, the name of the book we're talking about today is David's new one. It's called Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, Tools Your Son Can Build On for Life. And this book is available wherever books are sold. Again, his name is David Thomas. My name is David Warren. And when we come back, I want to talk with the other David about what we adults can do when we're on the receiving end of boys' meltdowns and blow-ups. Back after this. I'm Karen Jensen Salisbury, one of the hosts you hear on the Oasis Network Roadshow. For 35 years, this one hour of the day has inspired and motivated you, our listeners, with thousands of stories of people whose lives demonstrate the truth that, with God, all things are possible. It's an hour that you should make a part of your day, Monday through Friday, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Central. The Roadshow, an Oasis Network presentation. Here's a little bit about today's guest, David Thomas. For one thing, he's a really sharp dresser. I'm looking at his picture here. Um, He's also the Director of Family Counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville and is the author or co-author of 10 books, including the best-selling Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys. He speaks across the country at parenting events and is a frequent guest on national television and radio shows and podcasts. Plus, he co-hosts that podcast we talked about earlier, Raising Boys and Girls. David and his wife, Connie, have a daughter, twin sons, and a yellow lab named Owen. And do you think dogs and cats, are animals good for emotional growth with kids? I know you've got the therapy dogs there where you work. I think they're amazing for growth. I think they teach so much empathy. I think they teach a lot of awareness as well. I couldn't begin to tell you all the different ways I use my dog within our practice. And, you know, even if I were thinking just about social development, having a Labrador retriever simply means that I have a dog who is not good with personal space. And so it's amazing when I work with boys who struggle with space, proximity, volume, to use my dog as a great teaching tool. So I think for many reasons, I believe in them. I really do. I think they're invaluable. Well, I mentioned before we took the break, David, that we would give advice for parents, grandparents, and teachers, basically adults, what we can do when we are on the receiving end of boys' meltdowns 
and blow-ups. And we can also call these implosions and explosions. Um, let's talk about meltdowns. What would a meltdown consist of? I wrote in my notes that you have mentioned anxiety and depression would very much be a meltdown-type situation. It is interesting those two often, not always, but often present differently with males. So, for example, our definition, our understanding of depression is based more on what it looks like with adult females. And so when we think about depression, we think sad, lethargic, having trouble getting out of bed. And it can certainly present that way with males, but more oftentimes with males, it looks more angry and irritable than it does sad and lethargic. So it's easy to miss depression and anxiety with boys, adolescent males, and even adult men because it often looks very different. And the expression, as you wisely pointed out earlier in our conversation, is often going to start with the anger, and we're going to have to climb underneath to identify what's also in the mix. And so there is a lot of what I call looking underneath the hood required with boys to get access. The other thing I would say is, you know, I think when we encounter boys in a meltdown moment, one of the challenges I would give any adult listening, whether it's a teacher, a coach, a parent, an aunt, uncle, anyone who cares about boys, is that one of the greatest gifts that we can give kids in those moments is being the calmest person in the room, which is difficult to do because we're reading their amped up emotion and often match it to where kids start yelling, parents start yelling, as opposed to I'm going to move toward more calm in this moment as opposed to being more amped up. And what we're doing, if we really break that down, is we're modeling regulation. And it's just, again, always easier for kids to develop these skills when they can see it on the grown-ups around them. I would also encourage adults listening, do as much narrating as possible with kids. In fact, not just in a meltdown moment, you know, like I can tell you're feeling really worked up. You know what? I feel frustrated right now, too, because I've asked you to do the same thing three times and you're not turning off the Xbox, whatever it may be. That narrating is so useful. I would encourage parents to do that in all moments. So if you're driving in the car later today and you're stuck in traffic, say, you know what? I feel tense in my body. I'm worried we're going to be late to the event we're heading to at this point. I'm going to turn on some calm music right now to see if that helps. I'm going to try some deep breathing when I get to the next stop. Like mm -hmm. narrate the experience so that, again, kids have an opportunity to sit front row to the grown-ups they trust the most in this world and see evidence of what it looks like to name and navigate your feelings. And so I think it's of such importance. I would lastly only say in, in meltdown moments, I talk a lot throughout the book about how we as males have a lot of physicality to our emotions. So it's why research would tell us that toddler age boys in a classroom are more prone to biting, hitting, kicking, screaming, throwing things. It's why adolescent boys are more prone to punching a hole in a drywall than a girl would necessarily. It's that need for release. And I think it's vital that we train boys in the direction of knowing that's just part of how God hardwired us. That's not a bad thing. It can become a bad thing if I don't develop healthy skills of how to release the physicality or the intensity or what I call the energy of the emotion sometimes. So I do all throughout the book coach adults in the direction of helping boys develop what I call movement-based strategies mm -hmm. for coping that I think are vital for males. And that's going to look different for every guy. You know, it may be going outside and shooting hoops. It may be going outside. I have a boy right now who's 10 years old, and he'll just throw a basketball up against the garage door. He's not hurting anything, but it's a release. 
jumping on a trampoline, as you and I were talking about dogs, going outside and throwing the tennis ball with your dog, taking your dog on a walk, going on a run. There are a thousand ways that we could define a movement-based strategy, but it is honoring that need for release. And I think where boys trip themselves up is when they don't have enough movement-based strategies in the mix and they get a little of the emotion out, but not enough. And therefore it starts boiling again. It's a little bit like that classic example of a pot of boiling water on a stove. If I dump just a little bit out, it's still going to probably spill over when the boiling gets high and the temperature is high. But if I dump enough of that out, I don't need to worry about it spilling all over the place. So seeing emotion in some of those same ways. And in your book, you give great advice that when there is like, let's say a blow up, whether it's a verbal outburst or even a physical, God forbid, outburst, that it's not good to always handle things in the moment. So what recommendation would you have if our young boy or teenage boy is screaming at us or even getting physical, punching his fists through the wall or God forbid, heading towards an adult or one of his siblings? I think part of narrating the experience there would be, hey, I'm looking at you right now and I can tell you're feeling a lot inside your body. Let's work it through. I use that phrase a lot where I think the world is going to communicate to boys, shut it down, numb it out, make it stop. I want to replace those messages with work it through. It's not a bad thing to have a lot of energy and intensity flowing inside of you. It's part of the wisdom of Ephesians 4, 26, when it says, in your anger, do not sin. Like there again, we're told we're going to feel anger. Anger's not bad. Anger actually is a great emotion. It gets a bad rap, but anger is the very fuel that can move any one of us toward justice and mercy and kingdom work in this world. So it's not bad to feel anger inside my body as long as I know what to do with it. Otherwise, where it turns innocent is when I start hurting myself or others. I turn it in a direction that's not constructive or healthy because I don't, to use that phrasing, know how to work it through. And I would love to mention, too, if I could, I wrote a workbook for elementary-age boys called Strong and Smart. Mm -hmm, I have it. And I walk boys through a process in that. And honestly, I think the practices in this workbook could easily be modified for toddler-age boys or teenagers. But I walk boys through a process of developing what I call a top-five list, of coming up with strategies in those moments where I feel that intensity rising up in me. I had a hilarious conversation with a mom recently, and she said, David, I bought the workbook for my fourth grade son, and I'm using it with my 42-year-old husband all the time. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, fantastic. Wherever it works, whatever age male it's useful with, I'm encouraged to hear that. I was going to say, same emotions, different size bodies. Absolutely. You're 100% correct. Okay, so I want to mention that there is a section in your book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys for Moms. And boy, do I feel for moms out there, especially single moms, raising boys. Yeah. I want to say to single moms raising boys that in 25 years of doing this work, some of the most extraordinary young men I've had the pleasure of knowing and spending time with have been raised by single moms. In fact, I am officially so old that I am now doing parent consultations with men who were boys that I counseled when they were in (laughs) middle school or high school. So to see the full circle experience, and 
I sat with one a couple of weeks ago. He is an amazing dad who was raised by an incredible single mom, had very little investment from his father, and he is a rock star dad himself. I just first and foremost want to say that. I think that's so important. I would also say part of why I wrote that chapter is there are three really important roles that a mom plays in a boy's life. And I wanted to camp out in each of those spaces. And I will just preview them for you that I call it being safe, letting go and staying steady. And I define what each of those things means. You know, I put feet to that. Like how does that actually play out in the day in day out in your journey with a boy? And that I think it's not even that you can just hit two of the three. He needs all three. And to the degree that we're leaning in and learning what those look like in the life of our son, we're moving him toward healthy masculinity. To the degree that we don't, we can roadblock that process. And he misses getting some really important things that he needs from us. Here are the two books that we have mentioned so far, folks. Today's guest's name is David Thomas. The name of his new book is Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. There's also the workbook that a parent can go through with a younger boy or an older boy could go through by himself. The name of the workbook is called Strong and Smart. Strong and Smart. I know that both of these books are available on Amazon.com. But David, you have a website as well, RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want you to tell us the different ways that we can find out more about you and what you do and help the boys in our lives through this website and anything else you want to say before we say goodbye. David Thomas and David Warren will be back for the wrap-up right after this. I'm David Warren, Program Director at Oasis Radio Network and one of the hosts of this podcast. All of our hosts enjoy hearing from you, our listening family, so drop us a note. Our email address is roadshow at oasisnetwork.org. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you'll receive new episodes on your mobile devices. And now, back to the show. Okay, folks, so do you see why I wanted to have David Thomas as my guest today? He's a great guest, first of all. I mentioned that he loves 80s music, so he's got my vote already. And David, you're helping so many people with the books that you write. I mentioned that you have co-written eight. You've written these two new ones, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, and then the workbook Strong and Smart. Um, Thank God for all you do. Let me just say that before we say goodbye. Right back at you. I'm really grateful for your work as well, and incredibly thankful that you would give me this opportunity to come on and have this conversation with you. Thank you. One of the quotes that I like that you say is, we can only take the kids we love as far as we've gone ourselves. And David, how I would interpret that is, moms and dads, if you want your sons to grow, you too have to do the work. And I am referring to emotional growth work. What does that look like? How can we grow in this area of healthy emotions as adults, which means we'll be able to better help our kids. You know, one of my favorite examples of that actually just happened yesterday. I ran into a mom who said, David, this past weekend, my husband took our 
third grade son on a camping trip overnight. They just went out to camp and cook and hike and do different things outdoors. And he said, we had just ordered your workbook and my son was excited about it. And they took it with them. And his dad said, hey, buddy, this workbook is actually for both of us. I would have given anything if I'd had this workbook when I was your age. And let's do it together. And she said, I have a picture. My husband took a selfie of them in the tent with headlamps on in the dark, reading the workbook together. And I wept when she showed it to me. I mean, it just made me so grateful because that is exactly what I had in mind when I thought about the book and the work, but was just that boys would have an opportunity to grow alongside the adults that they love and trust the most in this world. And how helpful as we've been discussing, I think it is when boys hear grownups say, I'm learning too. I'm playing catch up. I'm figuring these things out. Last night, I lost my temper and I need to work on page 16 in the workbook with you. I don't have enough good calming and coping strategies in play. And I just think what a gift and what a reminder for boys that as we said on the front side, this is human work and this is ongoing work. This is not just something that we develop skills around one time. I mean, every one of us knows what it feels like. I myself, especially when I have not been on a bike for over six months and I get on, it is as if I have never <laughs> ridden one before. I'm wobbly and terrifying to watch. And so we've got to fine tune these skills all through our growth and development. And what a gift that we could be modeling that on behalf of the kids we love. And let's remember the free resource that we have. It is David's podcast that David Thomas co-hosts with Sissy Goff, and it's called Raising Boys and Girls. And again, that series on navigating screen time with your boys or with your children, actually, uh, fantastic. Great job. Everybody needs to check out your podcast. Again, Raising Boys and Girls podcast available on all the platforms. Before we say goodbye, you have another gem, G-E-M, for us, and that is your website, RaisingBoysAndGirls.com, RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. How can parents improve their families by going to this website? Thank you for mentioning it. Well, we've tried to make it easy in that we house everything we do in that space. So if you were to go there, it will take you straight to the podcast. It would take you straight to our books and resources. It'll also link you to Daystar's website, my practice. And we do with parents all over the globe, we do what we call parent consultations. And it's a bit like a well visit with a pediatrician where you just have a chance to ask questions. I do these with parents by phone or Zoom and we'll just come together and they've got four or five questions they've come up with that they want to circle around in our time together. And I love sharing that time with parents all over the globe. And so that will link you to our practice at Daystar as well. We also have, um, we're very active on Instagram and we try to put out as much free content as possible. Just yesterday, I put a video up of me teaching some of the content in the book, you know, just three to five minutes that you could listen to while you're in the waiting room at the doctor's office or driving from point A to point B. And hopefully we'll just be some good prompts, some questions to ask kids some things to consider some practices to embody. So we are just doing our best to try to push out as much helpful content for parents and educators as possible. Well, your new book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, and then the accompanying workbook, Strong and Smart, they haven't been out that long, but I'd say long enough that you should be getting some feedback what are you hearing? I mean, I love that story about uh, the dad and the son out there with their little headlamps on. 
You must be hearing back from people. Tell us about it before we say goodbye. You know, I am. And it is so encouraging because when I create the content in a book or when we do the podcast, you and I were mentioning earlier, you know, I always wonder, like, is this useful? Is it helpful? And when I see evidence, like I have a, a concept in the book and workbook about creating some space where boys can take that physicality. And I have had so many parents pull out their phone and show me the feelings for it their son came up with or the calm corner they created. I've had educators who said to me, I've been working in my classroom this summer, and this is what I'm creating after reading your book. And it is so deeply encouraging to see evidence of where folks are putting the practices in place in ways that I hope really can change those statistics that you and I talked about on the front side of our conversation, that we could grow up a generation of young men who aren't leading in those spaces because they developed these emotional muscles and they got to see them on the grown-ups they trust. Well, I want to thank today's guest, uh, David Thomas, so much again uh, for being with us. Again, his website address, Raising Boys and Girls. Dot com raisingboysandgirls.com and david before we say goodbye uh, you said it earlier but it definitely bears repeating it is a quote that you say often it's by frederick douglas tell us that quote before we sign off i'd love to it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men and and that's the very reason i wanted to create this book and more book and why i'm so incredibly grateful you let me come on and talk about both today. Thanks, Dave. For David Thomas, I'm David Warren, and it's been another great Roadshow. You've been listening to The Roadshow. If you'd like to write to us, here's our address. The Roadshow, P.O. Box 1924, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74101. Our email address is roadshow at oasisnetwork.org. The views of today's guest aren't necessarily those of this station, but we do appreciate and thank our guest for spending this time with us. The Roadshow, an Oasis Network presentation.